Heavenly Father, God, we, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to be here in your presence. Uh, and Lord, with or without all of the, the technologies and the comforts that, that, that we have and that we are, are used to, that we appreciate, Lord, uh, those are add-ons that, that aren't really that important. And what is important is that you meet with us. God, what is important is that we, is that we humble our hearts. God, that what's important is that we would seek you, that we would desire to hear from you this morning, that your spirit would come and, and have your way. Lord, that your word would, would speak with power. God, your spirit is powerful. Your word is powerful. Uh, and Lord, and I'm just a man and not powerful. And so I need you to set me aside and I need you to work so that we can all hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 6 is where you could be turning. And also mbtkc.org slash sermons is where you can find a digital copy of the notes and also the PowerPoint. It does exist and if you want to follow along you can get that on your, on your screen in front of you. It's, it's loaded there as well. But Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read the last half of the chapter to you and then we'll start to unpack it. Starting in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of the flesh. For as ye have yielded your members as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we jump into this, Paul uh, begins this second half of the chapter by saying, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And, and therefore, of course, as you guys know, is a connecting word, and it ties you back to what was already there. And in short, the first half of the chapter is, is all about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and the new life that we have in Him. It's framed in the context of what the one true baptism is. And we saw baptism in, in water this morning, but even that was a picture, was a testimony of the one true baptism that happened in this young lady's life uh, at some point earlier that you heard testimony of, the, the moment when she gave her life to Christ and said, I am now dead to who I was and who I am, and I, that is buried with Christ, and by the power of His Spirit, I am now alive to walk in newness of life. And we even say that at the end of a baptism as a representation of what really happened. 
And so that's the, that's the beginning of the chapter. That's what leads us into this. And so the foundation for everything that we're talking about in the second half is established and built on the fact that, that you've been born again, that you've been baptized into Christ. And so for some, that is the place where you just need to start. We're not covering the first half of the chapter, and, and I just gave you it real quickly, and actually the very last verse of the chapter as well kind of brings you right back to that idea when it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for some, no doubt, in a, in a crowd this size, there are some who have never made the decision to say that I need to surrender myself wholly to the Lord. But what he talks about after that, and this is what we're going to get into now, is that once we have made the decision to say that, that Christ is my Savior, Christ is my Lord, I am born again, I am a child of God, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't obey it anymore. And we won't dig into it, because I'll get to our focus here in a second, but essentially what Romans 6 and, what, and 7 are, are, are getting to is the fact that since we are dead... Now, if we recognize our position rightly, we are, we are, the old man is dead, and I'm now alive to be a new man. And because of that, what Romans 6 and 7 are telling us is that we are actually no longer bound to sin. I don't have to serve sin. That's a big statement. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, but I know me. Like, I, I kind of do have to serve sin. No, you don't. And this is what Paul is getting at. See, without Christ, you, you do. You have no hope. You have to serve sin. You have to serve the flesh. You're bound to it. But with Christ, you've been set free. You actually have the power to not sin, to not give in to that. And, and the key word, the title for what we're looking at today, comes up in the next verse where he says this in verse 13, Neither yield. And yield is what we want to talk about today, this idea of yielding, because this idea of yielding is really the, the reality of, of everyday Christian life. Because everyday Christian life is not a decision of whether or not Christ will be my Savior. You've made that decision. Everyday Christian life is a decision as to what will I yield to today. So the rest of this chapter builds on the victorious Christian life. It tells you how you can have victory in life. And it all comes down to one simple idea. Yielding. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. And so as we get into this, right here at the beginning of this chapter, uh, Paul uses this word yield, and we're going to look at a couple different definitions for this word yield as we work through it. But what it, what it means here is it's defined simply as surrender. To yield means to surrender. Some synonyms would be to give up control, to grant or to permit, to bestow, to submit, or to give away. If you're a driver, then you understand the idea of yielding. Um, yeah, we have our younger kids in the next service. Those are the ones who are drivers who don't understand the concept of yielding yet. In this service, y'all are, are mature and experienced drivers. And you understand the idea of yielding. When I am driving down the road, to yield means that I have to, to slow down and surrender the space that I would take up 
I have to give up my rights and my, uh, my, my claim to this space on the road so that another car can come in, right? That's what it means to yield. It, it's me, and yielding is something we give. It's always something we give. It's not something that can be taken. I yield by giving up the control. I am allowing someone else to come into my lane. Now, I used to live over, you know, in Asia, and uh, driving uh, laws don't exist. <laughs> driving recommendations. I mean, there are, there are laws. They're, they're culturally adapted and agreed upon. They're not, you know, written in stone type of laws. And the law over there is that if you're the biggest, you don't yield. <laughs> That's the way it works. If you're smaller, you yield every time. That's how it works. And if you don't obey by that law, when you fail to yield, then what happens? You get in a wreck. Yeah. Um, and some of us here, maybe even in this service, apply that law to our driving as well. And maybe even to our life. Like, well, I got the biggest truck, so everybody else yields to me. I got more power. Uh, you have to, therefore, move in response to me. And we, we have a tendency maybe to, to slip into that, even in our lives, to think that, well, you know, I, I'm kind of a big deal. So therefore, everything else around me yields to me. And, and maybe it's not that overt. Maybe it can be subtle, but we start to live that way. Like, I'm going this way, and either you're with me or not, but whatever. I'm not moving. Uh, you can get behind me, but I'm, I'm not yielding to nothing. Now, and this is the first thing that Paul says. The first instruction here is to not yield. The first warning is actually don't yield. But then he qualifies that. He tells you exactly what you should not yield to. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness. All right? Now we get an example of, uh, of this uh, definition of yielding. I'll give you a couple verses. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 8. This is the same idea. It says this, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. So we have a contrast here in this verse. And enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. So here in Second Chronicles, we get a good contrast of what it means to yield and, and what we could call as a, a scriptural opposite to yielding. He says, be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield. So on one side you have the stiff-necked, and on the other side you have those who are willing to yield. So we can, make, we can paint those as biblical opposites. When I don't yield, what God says is that I am stiff-necked. I ain't moving. That's that idea. I don't bend. I don't give. I'm stiff-necked. But instead, the warning, and, and this is the warning consistently throughout Scripture, is you don't want to be that person. You actually want to be the one who yields. So this is, this is a command to surrender, is what the, the, the warning is. It's a warning and it's a command that God is giving to his people. Don't be like your fathers who, who refused to yield and, and wandered in the wilderness because of it for 40 years. But instead, yielding to the Lord is the position you want to take. And by the way, just based on that, that, that verse, and this isn't where we want to dwell, but it's worth saying, uh, yielding to the Lord is facilitated practically by entering into his sanctuary. That was the instruction given in Second Chronicles. 
And I would, I would bet that there is a correlation between uh, your presence in the house of the Lord and your willingness to submit to the Lord. And I would bet there's an equal correlation between your willingness to say, well, online is good enough. I don't have to go. I can just hear the word and I can just join from out there. Uh, and for some, there's a need and it's a necessity. And for others, it's just a way to say, I actually don't want to yield. I'm going to stay here and do it my way. I'm going to stay home. So you want to be here. Uh, but, God, but God says that you, you also want to be one who is not stiff-necked and yields. Exodus 32, verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Would to God that that's not the summary of Midtown. Would to God that that's not the summary of Faith Fellowship or, or Kaya or any individual family or any individual one of us. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, it, God repeats it in the New Testament. It says, But unto Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Another way of saying uh, stiff-necked, according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, is disobedient. A failure to yield, while we might think, well, it's my right, I, I, you know, I have freedoms, I can choose what God says, is no, you're just disobedient. You're just sugarcoating your rebellion is all you're doing. And that's what our culture is really good at these days, is, is, is creating new terms and new ways to talk about our rebellion and to talk about our sin and, and, and to change the, 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 the focus. It's not that big a deal. Well, God says it is. You're disobedient and you're gainsaying. What does that mean, to be gainsayer? It means to contradict, to speak against, to gainsay. If your default position is always to argue, to rebut, to well but. If that's your default, every time somebody speaks to you, if, if your mind starts, starts creating a counterpoint right away, you know what you are? You're a gainsayer. You're stiff-necked. There's a little self-test. You can run that through your, your, your own interactions with people and your own responses to people. But here's what God says. Okay, so neither yield your members as, as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not submit your members to in, as instruments of unrighteousness. That's one place where you don't want to yield. Now, here's the hard thing about it. The default design setting of man is actually for dominion. Okay? When we go back to the, to the way that God created us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. God created us to have dominion over what? Over everything. He said over all the animals and over all the plants, and then, oh, oh by the way, he says, and over all the earth, you have dominion. And that part's still in us. We were designed by default, this is factory setting, to be wired to rule. I want control. I want to have dominion, which means I'm wired to not yield. So it's in your nature. The only exception to that, and this, is, this was by design again back in the garden, back when God created Adam, the only exception to that was that, was that Adam was to yield to the voice of God. 
That was the way it was created. Outside the voice of God, there was to be nothing in your life that had dominion over you. And God walked in the garden. The voice of the Lord walked alongside of Adam and communed with him and, and gave him instruction and command and, and told him what to do. And that alone was to be, to be what Adam received and yielded to and nothing else. And this is modeled even in God himself. Within the Trinity, we see that God himself uh, yields to himself and nothing else. And that was the way that he designed us. Now, when man sinned, when Adam sinned, he abandoned the yielding to God's voice. In order to get to that point, he had to, to, to abandon what God said. He stopped yielding to God's word. And sin entered. And the curse entered. And now, you know, the only thing that we held on to from, from that original creation is our desire for control our desire to, to have dominion. Interestingly, we won't get into it, but as you, as you read through Romans chapter uh, 6 here, yield shows up uh, five times in three different verses. Dominion shows up three different times as well, if you go up to Romans chapter 7 and verse 1 also. So it's even contrasted here, yielding and dominion, yielding and dominion. But this is what we want. So don't be surprised when, when you or your kids parents, don't be surprised when your kids have this, this natural tendency to, to rebel. I remember, you know, when my firstborn, uh, he's now 10, but I, I can remember him being around six months old, and that was like the first time that I, I could see, this kid wants to rebel. At six months. Like, it really is. It's, it's just wired in him to have dominion and to want to do it his way. I'm like, kid, you're six months old. You can't do it your way. Like, without your mom and I, there's, there's no hope for you. <laughs> he doesn't care. Like, already. You know why? Because you and I are the same way. And even though we're born again, and even though we have the Spirit of Christ in us, and even though we are a new man, we're still attached to this old man, and this old man wants more than anything else to continue to have control, wants dominion, and will push himself for that every chance that he gets to take control. For sin shall not have dominion over you, is the instruction in verse 14. For you are not under the law, but under grace. So you've been set free from, from the bondage of the law and the sin that comes with it. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? No. God forbid. The liberty that God has given us is not a liberty to go and to do what we want. Quite to the contrary, the liberty that he gave us is that he made us alive to actually once again be able to yield to the voice of God. Something you did not and could not do in your lost state, aside from the, 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 the reality of your sin and his righteousness, you were not able to tune in and, and, and yield to the word of God. But you can now. So should I say No. I should yield more. The fact that I'm born again, the fact that I have the Spirit of God in me only produces a, a, a position that says, I should yield more, not less. So he says this, don't let your members surrender to unrighteousness. Don't yield to unrighteousness with your members. And I want to talk about our members for just a second. 
And this will just be a, a, a real high overview to give you an idea. But when, we're, when Paul's talking about don't yield your members to un, as instruments of unrighteousness, our members would be this on, on the big scale. We are, we like God, we were created in the image of God, so we are also a trinity, which means that our members are a body, a soul, and a spirit uh, at, the, at the kind of the highest level. That's, that's biblical anthropology. That's what you are. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. And what the Word of God tells us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in Mark, uh, the same verse comes where he says, Watch and pray, Mark 14, 38, lest you enter into temptation. This time he says it a little differently. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So in terms of, uh, of yielding, if we start with our spirit, what God tells us is that the spirit is always ready and willing to yield because the spirit is in communion with the spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Our spirit, the spirit of man, is, is, is what communes with God. And so it is always ready and always willing to yield. That is exactly what the spirit wants to do. The default position of the spirit, even the spirit of man, is to yield to the voice of God. Okay? Uh, we would oftentimes talk about the Spirit in, in, in terms of how maybe commonly we would talk about it. it would be our, our conscience, uh, that inner voice, that morality, that guide, that compass, however man wants to talk about it, that thing that's in me that says, maybe you shouldn't do that. That thing that causes you to hesitate when making a decision. Because God has put his, his, a spirit in man and it communicates with him and he, is, he says in his word that he's even given us uh, enough within ourselves from his spirit to understand that there is a moral standard. All right, so that is, that is the spirit. Always ready. Now here's the warning, of course, is that you can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. See, even as a believer or a non-believer, you have the ability to say no to the gospel and to the word of God so many times. You have the ability to tune that voice out just like kids do. Right, parents? Somehow I can talk to my kids and they can be sitting right in front of me and, and then they'll go, huh? What'd you say? I'm a serious kid. We can do that, but that brings us to a point where we, we have functionally become deaf to the voice of the Lord. And when we quench the Spirit, it becomes impossible to yield to Him. And then the only option that remains is to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. See, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit. You guys know this. This is a common verse. And ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are the contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So the flesh and the spirit, they work against each other. So where this, the flesh, or I'm sorry, the spirit is always willing and ready to yield, now we also have the flesh. That's a, another part of who we are. That's one of our members. And that is all of the, the physical components that we can touch, and, and well, some we can't touch, they're inside. It's gross when you try to touch those parts. But those organs and the blood and all of those things, that makes up the flesh. And what God says about the flesh is that in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. In fact, the flesh has no desire ever to yield, as we already covered, because it was designed for dominion. And so the flesh 
lusteth against the Spirit. These two are contrary one to another, one willing and one unwilling to yield. The flesh only wants dominion and pleasure. And then as we talk you know, more specifically, we, of course we could get into the, the members and, 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 and Paul breaks it down for us, how of course the body is, a, is the, the church is a body and we all have members and like fingers are important and, and spleens are important and all of those parts. But as we keep it broad, Romans 7.18 says this, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. The Spirit's there. The, to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, if I find not. I don't, I don't find it in the flesh. And that leaves the third part of who we are, and that would be a soul. According to, from God's perspective, a soul is, is the real you. That's really who you are. It's the eternal you. Uh, whether you are a child of God or not, there is an eternal component of you that will, that will continue on once this flesh fails. It will continue on either in the presence of the Lord or in, or in cast out and absolutely separated from the Lord. The, the soul is, is what makes us us, even in the flesh and, in, and as we walk this earth. It would be uh, our mind. It would be our will. It would be our emotions. It would be the things that define us. When people think about uh, Miles Cheadle and his character and, and his smile and his joy and all of these things, that, that is a... Is a is a, uh, is a description of, of, the, of his soul because it is a description of the, the emotions and the character that he reflects. Praise the Lord, that's also a, a, a reflection of the fruit of the Spirit alive in his life. Um, but that's how God looks at us. That's the soul. And the soul uh, is all of those things. And this is the area that I think oftentimes we, we, we fail to look at in terms of let not your members uh, be submitted as instruments of, of unrighteousness. But what we need to learn to do is to submit all of our members, body, soul, spirit, to let them yield to the right voice and not the wrong voice. I want to do the right things with my body, but I want to think the right things as well. I want my emotions to respond appropriately to the Lord. I want my desire to respond appropriately to the Lord. And all of that is hard work and takes time and takes the Word of God and, and takes a whole lot more than we have to cover uh, this morning. So you need to get discipled. You need to get into Bible study so somebody can sit down and show you what all of this is. You need the biblical counseling course. So you can learn how to be in control and to submit your body and your soul unto the Lord so that all of your members, inside and out, are yielded to Him and to Him alone. So don't yield. But then he goes on, and of course, and he gives you the contrast as you come further down, even in uh, the same verse. But, but do yield. Do yield yourselves unto God. And since yielding to God is not natural, that means man must be instructed to do it. And so God instructed you to do it. Praise the Lord. Do yield unto the Lord. It's not natural, so here's the instruction. It means it has to be learned. That means don't get overly discouraged when you fail today and tomorrow, because you will. Why? Because that old man with dominion is still there. But what do I want to do? I want to learn from that, and I want to learn from the Lord, and I want to learn so that I can become stronger tomorrow so that I don't continue to yield to the wrong voice every single day. Next week when we gather together, 
my prayer for you, and hopefully your prayer for you, is that in the past week, that even maybe in a very small area, but somewhere in your life, that you got victory over something that you were failing to yield to before. That the voice of the Lord took control of that. And since yielding to God is not natural, it's something that man has to fight to do. You have to be instructed, but it's also a battle. That was the very first thing I said when, when I got up here, is that yielding is the daily reality of the Christian life. It's a daily battle. So we are to yield, but yield yourselves unto God. It's interesting there, he, he goes from members to whole self. Don't yield your members, do yield your whole self. All of you, yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And then he, after that, follows it up. And by the way, your members. Because the only way for your whole self to be yielded is for every member to be yielded. And so it's a piece by piece, member by member, continual giving over until all of it is yielded unto the Lord. And so here's a reality that, that, I, that we might have missed for a long time. You see, at this church, we say, um, in, in, in talking about our, our body and talking about Midtown Baptist Temple, one of our ministry uh, guiding principles here is the idea that every member is a minister. You've heard that, right? Have, have any of you heard us say that? That everybody should be engaged and involved in the work of the ministry here at whatever capacity you are equipped to do. Every member a ministry. While that's true of the, of the local church body, that's also true of your physical body. That is the desire. This should be not just a ministry principle, but a life principle for you. Every member a minister. I know I'm speaking to me. I'm just speaking to myself and to my members. When you wake up in the morning, this should be your prayer. Because you know how you fit into this body. And you know your role and you're ministering. But you also know that your members aren't submitted. And so you come here and you get engaged and, and you're involved in ministry and you're serving and you're, you know, you're holding doors and you're handing out Tuesday night meals and, or whatever, whatever you're, you're serving in. Praise the Lord, you're serving here. And you found out that you're a member here so you have a ministry role. And yet in your heart you know that at the same time you're doing that, well, you kind of hate some of the people. You're kind of angry. You pray that you don't run into so-and-so. You know you're thinking about things you shouldn't about so-and-so. You, you know, your members aren't given over to ministry. So this is my prayer every morning. Lord, every member a minister. That has to be true of me. So show me which ones of my, mem my members are out of line right now. What members need to be brought into the, into, into the power of your spirit, under the control of your spirit right now? Because that is a daily, everyday, going on reality. My eye members, my hand members, my, my thought members, all those members need to be yielded to God. And I need to learn to yield my soul daily unto the Lord to keep my flesh from doing what it wants, right? So then Paul goes on. And he, and he walks us down through. So know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants, you are to whom you obey. So whoever you obey, that becomes your master, whether you like it or not. You're like, no, I can quit anytime. Well, God says it's your master. 
you better obey your master. Uh, quitting is hard, uh, but today is a good day to start. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And this is the reality that we started with. You are now free to be a servant of righteousness. A powerful thing to say that the old man, the one that was created to desire dominion, doesn't have to be in control. But instead, I can be a servant. The opposite of dominion, right? Don't desire dominion. Desire to be a servant. And a servant unto righteousness. You now are free and you have the power to, to do that. But God be thanked. You were a servant of sin, but now uh, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So not only do you need to be in the church, but you need to be in the Word, and you need to make sure that you are hearing the doctrine. You need to let the doctrine, the Word of God, be delivered unto you, because without the Word of God being delivered into your life, there is no way for you to, 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 to have any hope at yielding to what is right. So hold fast the form of the doctrine, the doctrine, the words that are given to you. And being, made then, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your, your members' servants to uncleanness, to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness, unto holiness. And Paul is drawing a, a contrast, but he's asking, he's asking the, the believer to, to think for just a second. Back to your old life. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, past tense. But think on that for just a minute and think about how much control the flesh had over you. Think about how much wickedness you were involved in. Think about how deep you were willing to go into the things of the world. Think about how strong that voice uh, uh, of your own desire was in your life. He says, think about that for a minute. And as, as you used to yield... To that degree, to that level, that all-consuming, self-serving desire, just as you were that, as you have yielded that much, your members as servants of unrighteousness to iniquity, even so now, that much, yield yourself unto the Lord. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And then Paul brings us in the, in the next couple verses, kind of shifts gears. He's talking about yielding yourselves, but then he talks about the outcome. Uh, he starts talking about fruit. Verse 21, he says, What fruit had you then in those things wherever you are now ashamed? On one hand, I apologize for asking you to just think about your, your past life. Because those are things that, that we should be ashamed of. They should be things that we don't want in our minds. Don't want in our conversation. Things that we should never be bragging about. What fruit had you in those? Well, absolutely nothing. For the end of those things is death. But, now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, do you have fruit? 
you have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. The interesting thing about this word yield is it has another meaning. Right? We talk about yield in terms of giving way. Uh, but also in Scripture, uh, the word yield, in fact, the very first time it appears is in Genesis 1.11. And it says this, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb-yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 29 of Genesis 1, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is in the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. So the other definition of yield, and, and we use it even commonly uh, in our, in our you know, common language, common culture, is, is to produce something, to bring forth gain, right? Profit, a return on investment. This is the next definition uh, of yield, to bear fruit or to put forth. So we would use it commonly with our financial investments, right? What's the yield on, uh, on various types of investment? If I invest in crypto, what, what's the percentage of yield I'll get there versus if I'm investing in a 401k or wherever? We, financially, we understand it. I want the greatest yield possible. Why? Because that's more money in my pocket. That's one day closer to retirement. Right? I mean, we want great yield. We want fruit. Now, this is actually a, a farming term that was adapted and, uh, and you know, applied into many different areas, but uh, it, it began because God gave us the, the example and the word, and it is, it is actually used in terms of crops. Uh, but we do the same thing when we talk about crop yield, and that's why uh, scientists are always modifying and, and messing with seed and trying to create a seed that will give either a greater yield on a stock or, or we mess with the ground. If I plant 10 seeds in this, in this piece of dirt, I plant 10 seeds in this piece of dirt, and this piece of dirt grows 10 plants, and that piece of dirt grows 5 plants, we go, well, there's a better yield over here. That's where this came from. Now, I want you to understand one more thing about our original creation. The, de the default design setting is for fruitfulness. This is the way that God intended it. When God created Adam, he, he went ahead of him and prepared the earth and prepared the entire you know, uh, atmosphere and, and physical structure of the earth so that everything was in place when Adam came and then, he get, and, then he, and then he puts Adam on the earth and then he gives him the help me. He gives him his wife and he gives him you know, everything that he needs in order to do what? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So this is the design setting. This is the default. This is what God wants, is for you to be fruitful. Even after sin, when God is giving his people the land, and uh, it's a land that is designed to produce fruit. Like this was always God's heart. Yes, sin, curse, messed it up. But here comes a promised land. Uh, and the land shall yield her fruit. And you shall eat to your fill and dwell therein in safety. Like, this was God's desire for Israel, and this is God's desire for you and for me. Likewise, you, even though you're fallen, God has the same heart for you. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and, who knows it, bring forth fruit. You have been ordained to go and to bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So this is the design, and this is the desire of God, which brings us to our key theme. 
key thought for today. It's real simple. It's this. The reason that you are not yielding fruit is because you are not yielded to God. The reason that you are not yielding fruit in your life is because you are not yielded to God. Period. Ah, oh, well, you know, James, the uh, Bible says there's seasons, you know. I'm just in one of those seasons. Well, don't let that be your default. Because that season lasts forever, and that's our default. I would challenge you to say this. Look at your life. And even all the members of you, and say, are they fruitful? What is the evidence that my members are fruitful? Because if they're yielded, even my members should be fruitful, right? Every member a minister. And if there's no fruit in my life, then I would challenge you to take the default position that it is because you're not yielded to God. And therefore the response has to be, then how do I surrender? How do I yield? This is modeled in the Old Testament in Leviticus 26. You can read the whole chapter when you go home. Leviticus 26, 4 says this, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. This was the promise that God gave to his people, but it was conditional, just as it is now. When you yield to me, God said, when you obey, when you yield to me, then I, in return, will yield fruit unto you. God responds to the yielded heart. And if you won't yield, still in Leviticus 26, verse 20, and your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. It's a hard reality. Because we want to look out here and say, well, there's all kinds of other circumstances. You know, the people I... People I minister to, they're really hard-hearted. You don't understand how hard those people are. So it's their fault that I'm not fruitful. I didn't, I didn't see that in the text anywhere. All I saw was that we don't yield fruit when we're not yielded to the Lord. So I'm going to give us a couple applications. I'm going to have the worship team come up while I, while I walk through this, and then we'll, we'll close. So you're not yielding fruit simply because you're not yielded. So three ways that we can take this. Number one, yielding requires you to slow down. Because when I'm driving my car, if I don't slow down at that on-ramp and let somebody in, we're going to crash. And this is the thing. Uh, some of us are just too fast, too busy. We're just going, going, going. We're always on the move and we seem to always know where we're going, but you're unaware of the fact uh, that God is in your rear view. And that should never be a reality. That God is in my rear view. I've gotten out ahead of God. Because I don't yield. I just hit the gas. Yielding requires you to hit the brakes. It requires you to pause. It requires you to meditate. You keep pushing forward without making space for God to get in. Yielding requires me to, to actually look at me. So maybe this is a way that you need to take this and apply this. What do I need to slow, where do I need to slow down? 
Where do I need to pump the brakes? Yielding requires you to be circumspect. Again, if I'm driving my car, if I never check over my shoulders, I never check my mirrors, I never look around to see where other cars are, I think all these lanes belong to me, I'm gonna go over here now, I'm gonna go over here. What's gonna happen? Well, spiritually, we live our life the same way. Is your focus only on yourself? Have you lost sight of those around you? Have you lost the love for the brethren? Are you unaware of the needs of, uh, of the other members of the broader body? Are you so self-focused that you, you, can't, you can't yield to what is going on? And yielding requires me then to look at God, not only at myself, but to look at Him. To be circumspect means I've got to consider the idea of where is God in my life? Where am I in relation to Him? And last, yielding requires you to give up control. And that's it. So what do I need to turn over to him today? Eric's going to lead us in worship. Um, you guys are going to stand with him. And uh, if you need to respond, you can do that where you're at. Maybe you don't need to stand. Maybe you need to stay seated. Maybe you need to pray with somebody next to you. But maybe you don't even know how to respond. Which means you need to come and ask somebody to help you respond. We're going to have people down here at the front. And they're willing to talk to you and to pray with you and to show you. And this right now is really the first opportunity to put the Word into practice. Because coming down here requires a great yielding. Giving up the what people will think and who's looking at me and they thought I had it figured out but I don't and all of that. Like This is the opportunity to start living that reality. Do you have fruit in your life? Do you want fruit in your life? Then you have to yield.